today, we're going to be talking about, um, tonight, we're going to be talking about purpose. I, I don't know how the rest of you are for me. I like to plan my day or plan things. And I'm okay with changing and making adjustments. I'm okay with that. But if I have a plan and it's, it's on me, I, to me there's a certain purpose going along. But then as things happen, as life happens, and that purpose starts to get interrupted and what I'm doing becomes purposeless, I get frustrated. Do you guys know what I'm talking about? Let me give you an example in case you're not sure. I know Nicole's brakes were squeaking, her, her rear brakes, and I needed to replace those pads. And so I knew about that for a while, and as gently as she could, she would remind me at different times. So I had this, this time blocked out in this day, and I had something later Theo had wanted to do in the afternoon. So this was after church, after work, and, and um, had all this aligned up. So I'd stopped by, and uh, lately, I don't know why, but I thought, yeah, I'm going to start using Napa instead of O'Reilly's. Do you guys have a preference? How many are Napa people? Anybody? O'Reilly's? Neither one? O'Reilly? Oh, all O'Reilly's. Okay. All right, so anyway, I'd gone to Napa, and, and what I, I, I don't know about you, this is what I do now for everything. I just check on YouTube, and I, I put right in there what I'm trying to do in the model and the year, and boom, you know, a video will come up, somebody telling you how to do it. And I'm glad I did, because on this Ford Flex, not the front, but the rear brakes, how many have ever done brakes before? You know how normally you compress that cylinder with a C-clamp? Yes, Dave, Dave knows. On this Flex... It has these little tiny little holes, and you have to turn to compress that thing, to compress the cylinder. You've got to turn this thing. So on the, on the video, he shows there's a tool you need to get. And uh, he says right on there, you can always rent it from your parts place, and it's no big deal. And the way the tool works is it fits right in, and the way, the, the way a brake, uh, the brake pad would it normally fit, it has a little piece that, that mirrors that, and it, sh- and it fits right in there, and you crank it down, and it shoves that thing back. Perfect, Right? The guy says right on there on the video, don't try to use your you know, needle nose. You'll mess it up and whatever. He, he says all that. So I'm thinking, cool, got this all under, under control. So I go to the guy at the Napa counter, tell him what I want, and then I tell him I want to rent this tool. And he goes, oh, you don't need that. Right away, inside, I'm like, I don't have time for you to mess with my purpose here. I'm doing stuff. And he goes, well, we don't, we don't rent that. You can just buy it. It's just, you know, it's like seven bucks. So I'm thinking, okay, he probably knows more than me, more than the guy on YouTube, right? He works at the counter. Okay, all right, so I buy it, whatever, instead of renting it. So I go, it's just how things go, right? So I get the car jacked up, you know, get the wheel off, get the pads out, and they're bad. I need, they need to be changed and uh, start to use this tool he sells me. It's not the right tool. It's not the same thing as in the video, and it's not working. And it's not working. It was one of those nights, you know, that it was like 90 outside. And I sweat as it is. And just the frustration with this, thinking this is not going to happen as quick as I needed it to happen tonight. And I'm just getting more frustrated. I'm thinking this is not going to work. I'm thinking, what am I going to do? This tool is not working. And maybe something's wrong. And I was thinking, maybe I'm doing it wrong. And I'm thinking, I, I know a lot of people I could call, but now I'm all into it. And I was like, oh, my goodness. Maybe I should just put these silly pads back in, drive it. So I, I'm getting frustrated. So then, does anybody ever have this happen? Okay, I didn't break anything yet, which is good, because that happens sometimes too. And then I'm really frustrated at me. And then the purpose of my night is getting messed with. So eventually I thought, oh my goodness, I'm just going to call. So I called O'Reilly's and I said, do you rent this tool? They're like, yeah, four bucks. 
that added to my frustration, actually. It was good and bad. So I just, I just drove over there, got it, fixed it. I, I was literally done in the next 25 minutes. 25 minutes done. Had I had the right tool, the whole job would have taken maybe 30, 40. Anybody ever have this happen? What would you say? It just about every time, yeah. And a lot of projects are like that sometimes. But there's something about it. We all have this sense of purpose. We need purpose. And when that starts to get messed with, you start to get frustrated. And what, I don't know about you, but I was looking up some things about that. I mean, there's things that we do in life where we need this and we have purpose. We have a sense of purpose. So as I was thinking and praying about that and just thinking about the fact that purpose is really what drives us, but then there's ultimate purpose in life. But some people have decided that there is no ultimate purpose to life. You know what I'm talking about. I mean, they might call themselves atheists or whatever, but they've decided that there is no purpose, ultimate purpose to life. So what do you have to do if that's you? You have to create some type of meaning to life, some type of purpose so that gets you through the day. And I, I, was, just, I was just searching the internet and finding some statements by different people like this. Here's, here's what one person said with that point of view. They said, I actively try and push myself to achieve things that contribute to society in a positive way. For my particular skill set, that is science animation. I have no idea what that is, even is. but That gives me a sense of a job well done and a benchmark to improve on. Social achievements that have a small chance of outlasting me. But if not, it doesn't matter. Because I won't know about the world forgetting me because I'll be dead. That's what they said. They said they had a little bit of purpose in doing those things, but then ultimately they figured they wouldn't be around to know that the purpose didn't matter. I'm reading this and I'm thinking, you're okay with that? But they are. Then I came across this one I thought you might enjoy. It says, the idea of a higher purpose to life is so ingrained in our culture that I think we approach this from the wrong angle. I don't believe there is a great purpose or meaning to life, but rather I see this as a lack of something. Why not look at what's actually there? So what they're trying to say is if you have a purpose to life, which is, you know, spiritual, that you're not really being realistic about what's really there. So what this person says is I find meaning in my relationships with friends, meaning in music, literature, art, what they reveal to the minds, the lives, the values of people who created them. I find meaning in the ever-increasing understanding forged by scientists and philosophers. I find meaning in the actions of others, how people choose to interact with the world. Then, then obviously they're getting a little introspective and they realize they're grasping. And in quotations it says, all of this sounds like I spend my time extracting meaning from things, but I mostly spend my time eating things, (laughs) wandering about, doing things I need to do, and being entertained or annoyed by cats. (laughs) Then this person says, things don't happen for a reason. The world exists for a moment in its own sake and you just happen to be able to observe experience and reflect on it while you're here what matters is how you live day to day and i'm reading this and i think you're okay with that because there should be more purpose than that a survey recently of of uh, americans uh, found that 80 percent of people have this deep desire for their life to have purpose and meaning and that doesn't surprise me. What surprises me is 20% don't. I mean, what are you doing? Are you just going through the motions of meaninglessness life, purposelessness life? I can't do that. I want to I know that what I do matters, that every 
not every, I mean, obviously there's certain things that aren't going to matter, but most of what you do, it's got to have some kind of a meaning attached to it. There's got to be an investment in something that's going to outlast you. Because really, if you lose, lose purpose, ultimate purpose in your life, what do you have to live for? I mean, it's going to be hollow and shallow, and it's going to leave you with really no reason to live. The political season we've just gone through, it, it kind of gave, uh, there, there was quite a few things to find interesting. One thing I thought was interesting is um, former Indiana, was he governor of Indiana, Kasich? He, um, Ohio? Was it? Okay. Um, I was reading about this while when it happened. It was interesting when he, evidently he was on the plane on the way to D.C. when he realized he lost the election. And he had the plane turn around. And uh, in his uh, prepared remarks where he told, you know, the people, his supporters, that he realized it was hopeless or whatever. At the very end of those prepared remarks, this is what he said. There's a quote from him. He says, I have always said that the Lord has a purpose for me as he has for everyone. And you can imagine most of the press is not Christian, and so they're freaking out that he would say something like that. And then he goes on to say, as I suspend my campaign today, I have renewed faith, deeper faith, that the Lord will show me the way forward and fulfill my purpose in life. I was so amused at how people who are not Christians couldn't handle that statement. Now, those of us who are Christians, we're, we're used to... Things may be not working out and understanding the fact that God has a purpose and maybe we haven't found what it is yet, that there's hope beyond this moment today. Because what they were looking for is for him to be so crushed that he couldn't even recover from it. And basically he's saying, this didn't work out and that's okay. I've actually found myself closer to God and he's going to reveal more of my, pur my purpose. And they're saying, but your purpose was to be president. You should be crushed. And basically he's saying, God's got another purpose. It's so funny how they can't, they can't even handle it. Um, coffee, the coffee culture continues to grow. It's one of those things like, I know I was joking about this not too long ago, but you know, I remember when rap kind of came out. Didn't rap really start as a country thing? I mean, really? I mean, really, you got country songs where they talk through the song kind of like that, and it rhymes a little bit. But then, you know, rap, how many remember, uh, you know, <laughs> early rap? And I remember thinking, well, that's cute, but it'll never last. Well, it just keeps going bigger and bigger. Um, <clears throat> and I'm a coffee lover. I mean, I mean, love it, love it. I, and I've thought long and hard about this. Uh, my dad, I used to go hunting with him and do things with him, you know, earlier in the morning. He always had that coffee nip candy and just developed a taste for that. And I like really strong coffee. I just do. That's what I like. And what I've been amused at is how... This coffee culture has grown, and you've got all these coffee shops everywhere. I'm not talking about, like, Starbucks, not the commercial side of that. I'm talking about the independent, like, we get our coffee from an independent coffee place in Lee Summit called Post Coffee. And it's amusing sometimes to sit in there and watch these guys talk about coffee. Coffee. I mean, is anybody into coffee that much? Okay. Well, then you're kind of like my people, I guess. But do you know what this is? This is a coffee wheel. This is a coffee flavor wheel. So I, you can't really see it. Well, maybe you can. I guess I can read it from here. Um, if you look at this coffee wheel, wh what this is is a way for you to judge different kinds and roasts of coffee 
not only the kind, how the coffee's been roasted, but where the beans are from, but then it also can change based on the age of the beans and the humidity that, that has soaked into the beans. So you might have coffee that, you know, if you're looking at this wheel on the left where it says tastes, you've got the sour type of coffees, you've got the sweet type of coffee beans. This is without, there's no creamer or anything, or this is, this is not putting chocolate or hazelnut or anything like that. This is just the coffee. So you might, you might like a coffee that's, I don't, you got all those words, I can't even, what's, what's Pequant? I don't even know what that is. But anyway, you got all of this. So I, I was listening to some guys talk about that, and we've had some coffee, um, we've been, our coffee barista people have been trained by some of these guys, and it's, it's not that I don't take it serious, I do, I really enjoy coffee, and I, I get what they're saying, but this is their life, is coffee. So I heard one of these guys once, and I was watching him work, and I said something to him about it. I was just saying, man, how do you, how do you get a team that works so well together? And I wasn't mocking them. I was serious. But part of me is like, you're doing a lot for coffee. There's a lot. Straight face as he could be, serious as he could be. He said, well, it's about the passion for, for brewing a quality beverage. I was just trying not to laugh because I'm like, it is coffee still. And I do like coffee. But he said, no, it's, it's passion. If you can find the right people with the right passion for brewing a quality beverage and providing our customers with that consistency that every time they come in, they can count on having a quality beverage. Yeah, I get that. That's purpose. That's purpose on a way different level. And then Nick might remember this. He just came back in. But we did have a training once, too, from a guy. And he goes uh, here at the church. And he said, he goes, I think it's totally appropriate you guys are doing that. Because after all, Jesus' first miracle was creating a quality beverage. <laughs> I mean, he, was, he was serious, totally serious. Um, so this may not surprise you that there's even a coffee company called Purpose Coffee. Because that's what they're about is making that. It's about their passion. They have a purpose in life, and because of that, it gives them a sense of life. But if we could be serious about this for a minute, the, the fact is, though, you can do a job, but it may not be a purpose, right? You could even come to church, but it may not be purposeful. You can be in a marriage and then that not have purpose for you. You may not be um, about what you're about. I mean, the purpose may not may not filter through like that. As you look through scripture you, and you look specifically at the life of Jesus and look at the people that he encountered, he, he encountered a lot of people with no purpose. He described them in ways that will be familiar to you. He said, they're like sheep without a shepherd. He said at one point, oh, Jerusalem, and he weeps over Jerusalem, and he says, I, I wanted to just gather you together like a mother hen would gather her chicks Jesus came to give them purpose, but over and over and over, they didn't get it. You know, what's interesting about that is I think all of us step back at some point, and, and at least at some point in our minds, we think if Jesus could just be here in person and drop a few miracles, everybody would flock, right? And their lives would change. But the fact is, as you look at his life on earth, that didn't always happen. That was not always the response. I mean, sometimes it was, but it wasn't always the response. 
But when Jesus encountered people who were purposeless, what did he do? He loved them. He had compassion on them. He reached out to them. He was patient with them. And one story in particular I want us to look at is in Luke 7. And he's going to the small town of Nain in the northern part of of Israel. And at this point, Jesus was very popular. But he was popular with, with a certain group of people more than others. Now, he was popular. And in this story in particular or in this chapter in particular, in the beginning of the chapter, what happens is a a Roman centurion comes up to him and he says, I have a servant who's very sick. Jesus says, well, I'll go heal him. And the, the centurion says, no, you don't have to go. He says, I'm a man under authority and I'm a man of authority. And I know that when I tell my my people to go, they go. And I tell them what to do, they do it. You just say the word and it'll be healed. It's a really interesting story because that had never happened, at least in the gospels that's reported. And Jesus stops and he says, wow, look at the faith of this Gentile. And, and the, the servant's healed. But it doesn't, the, the healings don't end there. What happens is there's a funeral procession. Jesus stops the funeral procession and raises the son from the dead for the widow. This, this is big. You think about the two miracles that Jesus... And I know it sounds silly, but if, if we were to judge like the awesomeness of different miracles... Those are pretty, pretty cool miracles. Now, I know this sounds weird because any miracle is cool and any miracle is awesome. But, but the first miracle in this chapter he does is kind of a long-distance miracle. I'm sure most people would have thought Jesus needed to touch them to heal them, right? If you think about how he healed people, he most often did do it that way. And sometimes he didn't. Sometimes he just spoke to the issue. And we know that there were some interesting miracles. One where he spit and made mud and put it on a person's eyes. Another, he just told him to go and dip. I mean, he did some interesting things. But this one was a long-distance miracle. And I'll bet you for some of the people following, they thought, well, I don't know if he can heal from this far away. And he did. But raising the dead, that is like the pinnacle of miracles, isn't it? And then it's in this context, in that very context, that what happens next happens. Because what happens is two, uh, you might call them emissaries, you might call them servants, but they were two of John the Baptist's disciples. Now, some of John the Baptist's disciples had already followed Jesus, but these two evidently were still following John the Baptist. But at this moment, John the Baptist is in prison. He's in prison, and if you know the background and you know the story, you'll know that what had happened was John the Baptist had been a prophet. He had been baptizing multitudes and multitudes of people. He even baptized Jesus. He pointed out and said, Jesus is the Messiah. A lot of people followed him, and he said, I'm fine with that because I have to decrease, and he has to increase, right? And sometime in there, the provincial leader over Palestine had taken his brother's wife as his own wife. That is actually forbidden in Old Testament law. And John the Baptist pointed that out. Well, this guy didn't like that. He didn't like being pointed out that he was living in sin for the Jews over the who he was ruling. And at one point, he puts him in prison. John is sitting in prison, and he's hearing about all the things that is happening with Jesus. Now, here's what's interesting about that, if you think it through. He said he had to decrease, and Jesus had to increase. We say a lot of things, right? And we know it's the right thing to say, but then when it really happens, it doesn't feel that good, does it? 
And you got to wonder, did John the Baptist start to wonder, hey, I'm cool with decreasing, but this is way, way, way down. I wonder. Or think about this. John the Baptist, probably like a lot of people, thought that when Jesus would be the Messiah, that he was going to take over the country militarily or that he was going to take over the country politically. And had that happened, John would have probably been the first one out of prison, right? But he's not. So he's starting to wonder, did we blow it here? Is he not really the Messiah we thought he was? Or maybe was he not the right guy? So he sends these two to find out from Jesus, are you the guy? Because John needs to know. He's, he's wasting away in prison. It's probably a very unpleasant place. And I need to know, are you the guy? Isn't it interesting? When they come to ask Jesus that, two big miracles happen. I wonder what they thought. I wonder if, they, I wonder if they're embarrassed to ask. I think I would have been. I think I would have been walking up and like, I was going to ask this, but now it seems like a really silly question. I don't know. But here's, here's what it says in Luke 7. At that very hour, he cured many of infirmities, afflictions, and evil spirits. And he gave blind, or to many he gave blind, he gave sight. So in addition to the long-distance healing, raising some from the dead, he, he heals a bunch of infirmities, afflictions, casts out evil spirits, and heals blind people. And then Jesus answers and he says to them, Go and tell John the things you have seen and heard. That the blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised. And then the poor have the gospel preached to them. Does that fit, really? I mean, is the poor getting the gospel preached that big a deal? I mean, really? We'll get to that in a minute. And then he says this. And blessed is he who is not offended because of me. There's two things in here that I just, to me, they don't fit. The poor having the gospel preached, and then blessed is he who is not offended. That was really a pointed message to John. It almost seems cruel in a way, because the fact is that John's in prison. And he's basically saying, hey, tell him everything that's happening, and then send him this little coded message. But, but it actually goes deeper than that. What Jesus does right here is he's, he's using a partial quotation from the book of Isaiah. In the book of Isaiah, this partial quotation comes from, it says those things, some of those things about the blind seeing, the lame walk, the deaf, says that, and it also says the captives will be freed. But Jesus didn't mention that one. John the Baptist would have known this quotation. Every good Jew would. And he would have known that was left out. I, I don't know... What was going on for sure, like the message Jesus was saying to John, I, I don't know. And I don't know because we don't know. I mean, we don't know in Scripture about, you know, how this would have landed with John when it got to him. I don't know if it was a way for Jesus to say, remember when you heard from God that I was the Messiah and you would decrease and I would increase? Buddy, this is tough. I mean, they're cousins. This is hard to hear, but this is how it's going to go and you're not going to be freed. I don't know. But I do know this, he sent that message to him, and, and it must have been difficult. Now, the setting when all this is going on, it's hard for us to even imagine because our world is so different today. But if you can imagine the crowds that would have been coming to Jesus, they would have been bringing people, 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 sick people, whatever. 
this is the first century. There's no urgent care. There just isn't. There's not even first aid. You had to really be careful not to catch some of these these little diseases because they would kill you. Where today, you know, we, we're praying for people and, and um, you know, with tumors and we're praying for people with things that, that in that day, you're going to die from an infection. A, a hangnail could kill you. This was a scary place to be. The, the wealthy people, they would keep their distance. They would be clean and separate. Jesus was right there with the, the, the regular people. And they're coming all up on him, and he's touching them. Do you realize that for him to touch these sick people, but especially that dead guy just a few minutes ago, would have made him ceremonially unclean? What that meant is he couldn't go to church. He would have been dirty. He would have had to wait like a week and then be inspected by the priest to be able to go back to church. Jesus lowered himself, not only socially, but he lowered himself religiously to be with these people. That's why it says he, he preached the gospel to the poor because it matters to God. Everybody matters to God. What Jesus is telling John is, look, you got the whole Messiah thing a little upside down, and I, do, I, I know I understand why, but here's what's happening. The kingdom of God is spreading around the common people. They're hearing the gospel. They're getting healed, and I'm right here in the middle of it, and it's okay. That's how it's supposed to be. That was a tough thing. And then Jesus tells the crowd, because they would have been pressing in. And I would imagine that even when those two, the disciples of John would have said to Jesus, I, the, the picture I have is that they would have come up and said, hey, Jesus, can we talk to you privately? There is no private. There's people everywhere. And Jesus publicly said all these things. So everybody was hearing it. And then what Jesus does is he turns and he tells them how great, how great that, that John the Baptist was. Anyway, let's look at what it says. He, he goes on and he says, nobody was greater than John. And what he goes into is he talks about the fact that all the prophets leading up to John had prophesied about the Messiah. And they may have had visions or ideas of what the Messiah would be about. But John was actually seeing it happen. If you think about John the Baptist, you know, you take the Old Testament with all the books of prophecy there. All those prophets were pointing towards something which they had a piece of, but they couldn't have fully known. And yet John was present to see that whole thing shift. He was present. He saw the, the difference or the beginning between the Old Testament and then the New Testament, which wasn't written. He was living it right in the middle of it. John was, he said he ushered in the Messiah. And then Jesus says this to him. I tell you, all of you who have ever lived, oh, pardon me, of all who have ever lived, none is greater than John. And then, remember the whole thing about preaching the gospel of the poor? Then he says, yet even the least person in the kingdom of God is greater than he is. <laughs> Jesus did this all the time where he would just, he would flip around their presuppositions and their ideas of what greatness meant. And in this case in particular, if, if they were focused on what purpose would be, purpose would be, for them, it would be to be part of that upper class because being rich and having those things meant that God favored you. So if you didn't have those things, you were not favored by God. And yet Jesus, God himself incarnate here on planet Earth, healing people said, no, everybody's favored. You are favored. 
that was, that was a mind bender for them. Because they thought having all those things elevated you to a place of honor, but Jesus himself elevated them. Then it goes on to say this. When they heard this, all the people, I love this little parenthetical statement, even the tax collectors, agreed that God's way was right for they had been baptized by John. Now, all of us, when you, when you try to determine what your purpose is going to be in life or whatever that is, you, to some degree or whatever, you, you choose what that is. And when God comes to you, and he does to all of us, whether you're listening or not, and he gives you a sense of purpose for what he wants for you to do, you have a choice. You could do like these guys and have a positive reaction to his purpose. And, and for them, it wasn't super comfortable. I mean, basically what he's telling them is, you need to live right, you need to clean up your life. Because John's message was one of repentance and then living right and treating people right. But that's what they said. God's way is right, even the tax collectors. And I know you all know this, but, you know, the tax collectors in Jesus' day were Jews who were kind of agents of the military occupiers, the Roman government. They would, they would collect for Rome, collect a little extra for them. They were hated. They looked like, you know, they were sympathizers with the foreign occupiers. Not a great thing. And even the tax collectors were with Jesus. I mean, John's message was one that, that required repentance and change. And his, his message, and in this case, it was the least likely ones that agreed to it. I mean, it was the ones who society would, would have looked at as if they were the furthest from God. Yet, in this case, they're the closest. Because they're responding to his message and saying, yes, I'll change. They're the ones who didn't look right, the people on the margins. But they responded. And they said, God is right. You know what I love about this? Basically, what they're saying is, yeah, we realize we have issues and we need to change some things, but he's right, and I'm going to humble myself, and I'm going to change what he needs me to change. Sadly, though, like we mentioned a minute ago, Jesus didn't get that universal repentance from everybody. He didn't get, like, when he healed. I mean, think of all the miracles he did on this particular occasion. And even then, look what happens. But the Pharisees and the experts in religious law rejected God's plan for them, for they had refused John's baptism. It's interesting because it's kind of like today in a lot of ways. Whether you're wealthy financially or you think you have it all just because it's who you are, you don't feel or see the need. Or maybe in your life you have a sense of power and you don't feel like you need him. That you're exempt from all that. And, or maybe like these religious people, you feel a sense of religious entitlement or self-righteousness. And you feel like, no, I'm good. I don't need to change anything. It's weird how we can slip into that, isn't it? We know better, but we do. And even the, those who are politically aligned, they were safe. They were, they were protected from this occupying military. And, and they were okay. What's funny, too, is John... The Baptist, when he saw them, he called them a brood of vipers. And he, he saw that they were full of their own purpose. And because of that, they weren't willing to accept God's purpose for them. <laughs> we all yearn for purpose. The, the question is, which purpose you're going to be satisfied with? If, if you're going to do your own thing and, it, and your purpose is going to be satisfied with things or entertainment or achievement or escape or 
whatever, or if you're going to be like all the other people and you're going to say, no, God's way is right. Isn't it funny? It was that. It just said it exactly that way in Scripture. We all decided God's way is right. We're all driven for purpose. It just depends on what you're going to find your purpose in. Because the fact is, if it's about a job, you can lose a job. If it's about money, money runs out. If it's about a relationship you have, that can go away too. If it's a title, I mean, titles change or they can lose meaning. I mean, all of those things are temporary and change. But God's purpose for you never changes. When, when he calls you, you can, here's the thing too, if, he, if you align your purpose with his purpose, then his purpose is something you can apply at your job, and your money would serve his purpose, and whatever power you have in the world would serve his purpose. It, it goes along with that, it just depends which is first, and where, you, where your heart is and all that. Here's how I look at it. We can, we can learn a few things. He told John the Baptist, don't be offended. I think what he was trying to say is, Cousin John, as hard as this is to hear, don't, don't lose heart. Because there's going to be times where God's purpose may not be as comfortable for you as, as maybe the way you thought your purpose would be. But it's okay because his purpose in the end will be way more fulfilling and you will enjoy it way more. And maybe you might be confronted with the fact that the purpose you're living for might have to change. And you might have to adjust some things to live for her, his purpose. Don't be offended. I don't know who said it, but I've heard this saying. I love it. It says, the two most important days in your life are the day you were born and then the day you find out why you were born. Do you want to really find out why you were born? The best place to find that out is from him because he's got a purpose for you. The next thing that was in that scripture is to do just like all those people did and, and recognize that God's way is right. For that to happen, you've got to be teachable enough to, and honest enough to do some self-examination ex, self and say, is my purpose right? Am I following what he really wants me to do right now? And I'm not talking about grand things like go to Africa or work you know, for Ford. I'm not saying that, although that might be it. I'm not saying that. I'm saying, what are you really living for? What are you trying to achieve? Is it his purposes? Because his purposes over what where he's placed you would make what you're doing incredibly meaningful. <laughs> I love the, the third thing too, is for some of you, you just need to act on what you know. When, when John the Baptist put that out in front of people, their response was to get baptized. They repented and he would baptize them. And, and we do the same thing. We were having baptizing, baptism in two weeks, but it's, it's more than that. I think for us today, and I, don't, I know none of you are tax collectors and none of the people that were mentioned in that story, none of you are Pharisees that I know of, right? What'd you say? Sometimes you are. Well, that's my point. Sometimes we are. Sometimes we are. Sometimes we're the tax collector. Sometimes we're the Pharisee. Sometimes we're the beggar and sometimes we're the leper. The fact is, we are all those things at one time or another based on who we think we are. And sometimes we're the, the Pharisee that's, that's hung up in all of our rules. And because of that, we, we, can't, we can't let God speak to us and change our attitudes and our, and, what we, and our priorities. Sometimes we are those things. Sometimes for us, it's more important to uh, 
you know, have whatever achievement is, is meaningful to us than to turn our life over to him and maybe live a simpler life because that's what he's calling us to. The thing is, whatever that is, you have to be open to it and listen to him and see what he says it is. Dave, would you mind putting some music on for us? I want to challenge you tonight to find out what that purpose is. And again, I'm not talking about the overall purpose like should you be a missionary, although I believe he speaks to you and could speak to you about that tonight. What I'm really talking about is your, your, are you following what he's asking you to do? Or are you like John saying, hey, this doesn't seem to be what I thought it was. Are you sure you're the Messiah? Because I'm not sure because it doesn't feel as good as I thought it would feel. And if that's where you're at right now, I challenge you to ask him and let him just point out to you, well, what do you see happening? Do you see lives changed? Do you see the blind being able to see? And what it, where do you fit in all of that? Let's do that for just a few minutes. Let's just take a moment, and I'm going to pray over us right now, and I'm going to just tell you, you're free to go whenever. I just want you to seek him for a few minutes and just open your heart and mind to him and just ask him, God, am I, am I really following your purpose? And if, if there's something I need to change, I want to change it. So let's just ask him for that tonight. God, we are grateful to you that you love us and care about us. God, I want, I want my life to matter. I want the things I do to have eternal importance. Sometimes it can feel like the mundane little things don't really matter or don't add up to eternal importance. But God, we want to serve you tonight. If there's things that we need to correct or change or empty from us, God, we want to do that. And if there's things that you want to tell us about or speak into us that we need to change or focus on more or less, God, we want to do that. I pray, God, that you would just, in these quiet moments here of prayer and contemplation and worship, that you would speak to us about what needs change and worked on and what doesn't. Give us, Lord, that sense of purpose. In Jesus' name.